Hey fam, welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gotze. The point of the Myths That Make Us podcast is to help you, the listener, and the guest when they come on, identify the conscious and unconscious stories that they tell themselves about who they are and about what the world is. Because I think that, no, I believe that I know that the story that you tell yourself drastically affects the life that you experience. And so I want to help people become conscious of what that story is. I'm finally finding my way to getting back to recording these things, given the change, you know, in the fucking world. Um, So let's just get into it. Today I have on Derek Pang, who, out of everyone that I've ever met, this dude exudes the light of God more intensely than almost anyone that I've ever met and his story and his light you're going to feel in this podcast. He's got a really amazing journey that he shares where he got jumped in a club at one point and got beat up so badly that he was put into a coma for a couple of days and he had to basically relearn how to be a human. And he tells the story of how yoga and meditation helped him get his life back and it's an amazing story for the times you know and if you want to support the podcast the most direct way that you can do that is to leave a rating and a review on itunes and then to share this with anybody that you think it might help i'm going to be releasing these more frequently going forward so love you guys thank you for being patient namasteezy Derek Pang. So you were one of the first people that I've ever interviewed over probably three years ago and a lot to transform for both of us. And welcome back to the podcast, man. Thank you, brother. I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Our first podcast was very transformal for me and I hope you learned something from that as well. And Always. What I learned was enthusiasm and passion. Mm-hmm. So let's say that I just got the chance to talk to you for the first time and you just got done teaching children how to be mindful and you hit your flow state and you came off of stage or the front of the room and I asked you, who are you and what do you do? What would you say? I am. Period. Imagine that we're on LinkedIn and you have to describe who you are and what you do. What would you say? Um, I uplift, I inspire, and I empower by being me, by living my authentic life and learning. I'm a learner. I'm curious. To get the security tokens in the world, what do you do? I do many things. Yeah. I... I'm a professional speaker, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a movement specialist, I motivate, I coach. How would your best friend describe who you are and what you do? (laughs) They'd describe me as Pang. And yeah, I I think you have to meet me 
and to spend time with me to truly know who I know who I am. Yeah. What would they say that you do in the world? A yoga teacher. Mm. I think that was my previous identity, but I'm always flowing with with what the universe puts in front of me and adapting and learning and growing. Like this year I've gotten into acting um, and stunt coordinating through teaching yoga, breath, movement to actors. And that brought me into that field. And when you go with your flow, when you pursue your passion, when you operate from that place of, of love and authenticity, doors, doors will open that weren't there before. Absolutely. How would your closest romantic partner describe you and what you do? Hmm. I think that's just a very hard question for anyone to answer what I, what I do. Um, what I do, what she would say is I inspire. How would your mother describe who you are and what you do? She would say, I'm a hard worker and I'm finding, I'm finding that out and I'm continuously figuring, yeah, continuously recreating who I am Yeah, and evolving that. It's, it's an evolution. I'm in, in constant evolution in a constant state of learning and growth. And, and how, how would your father describe you and what you do? Hmm, that's a that's an interesting one. <laughs> um, uh, well, I don't know. I would have to ask him. I should ask him. What's your best guess right now? What what, what would my father say I do? Mm, and who are you? He would say, "I'm a I'm a yoga, I'm a yoga teacher." Mm-hmm. And who he, who I am? Who mm-hmm. do you say I am? Um, I'm doing my best. And let's say that you're deep in an experience with mushrooms or LSD, and mm-hmm. you get to that point when you know that you're interfacing with the thing that we call God or mm-hmm. Spirit or the universe. How would that thing describe what Pang is doing and who Pang is? That thing would describe me as channeling that thing, a part of that thing, a part of um, that that unity with everything. What do you remember being your first experience, like your very first memory? Yeah, um, I've heard you ask that to people before, and I think you've asked me that before too. And I, I might, I think I have the same answer, but. I, I don't have very many memories from when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think this memory would be when I'm maybe like six or seven, and I was sitting out in the back on the deck in my in my backyard of my new house. I think my my youngest brother was just born, so it was me and my middle brother, and we're just kind of chilling on like our newly created deck and our new home. And I was just like so full of joy. I think we were playing music and just mm-hmm. like just taking in the fresh air. And uh, it's it's very exciting. Like I, I think back to that time, and it's like very beautiful. Yeah. What do you remember first story that really gripped your awareness as a kid? Yeah, um, we went over this on our our first podcast, and I I got so so much learning um, because I by by answering this question, 
um, I realized the the myth I was telling myself um, with these stories. And once I learned like the the subconscious programming I I had done through these stories, I was able to shift because the two stories I remember um, and that is first like really gripped by as a child were you help me understand that they're like both like two of the most tragic, sad stories. And so the two stories were Peter Pan and the Jungle Book. And what's beautiful is because you've done this or, and you got to begin to reap the rewards of making these stories conscious, you bring up a really good point that a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of these stories are archetypical stories, which are, which mean that they're stories that have been told for thousands of years. And a lot of these stories have built-in endings that are tragic. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes by Jung is, until the unconscious is made conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it faith. And one of the goals of this podcast is to help people become aware if they're living a tragedy. So I'm curious, what were the unconscious programs that you realized were embedded in, in these two stories that made them tragic? So um, the Jungle Book, like Mowgli, he never belonged anywhere. He didn't belong with the humans. They, he ended up in the jungle. Then he didn't belong with the wolves. And then he didn't belong with Baloo and um, the, the panther. I can't remember his name right now. And then um, he went back to the humans. He didn't belong there. So he just didn't belong. And that's definitely a story that I told myself. Um, I come from a mixed race background. Um, my father, he's Chinese Canadian. And my, my mom, um, she's French Canadian. And I grew up in a very um, Caucasian area of, of my city. And I, I, actually one of, we go back to your question of what's one of your first memories. And I actually remember an earlier one um, then that deck story. And I remember like being at like swimming lessons and parents and people coming up to like my mom. It's like, what is he? What is he? Because like I had a, a, I have a unique look, like I don't look Caucasian, but I don't look, um, Chinese. So I remember people like, what is, what is he? What is he? And in my mind, I was like, what are they, what are they talking about? I'm, I'm a human being and having grown up with both sides of my family, my French Canadian and Chinese Canadian side of the family, I didn't, I didn't see a difference between them. Um, so, with like the with the Caucasian with the white white kids I went to school with and played sports with, they always like called me like the Chinese, like he's a Chinese kid. And then whenever I went around um, Asian people, which was very very seldom, like the only time I went around Asian people before like university really was. Like at at restaurants, at Chinese restaurants, or um, maybe when my grandparents had like gatherings with their friends, and they always like called me like Guai Lo. I think that's like that's white boy, and they, they so the, the the Chinese people didn't associate me being Chinese, and then the white people didn't associate me being white. And I was like, okay, um, like I just never felt like I belonged. So that was like the story I told myself, kind of through the Jungle Book story. And then, but I, what I did realize after telling that story to you and really reflecting and talking about people with this, like I do belong. I, I get along and I belong with so many people. And that one of my skills is being able to um, get along with people from all different 
economic backgrounds, social backgrounds. So yeah, I do belong and I changed that story. Yeah. Um, and what about Peter Pan? Yeah. So um, Peter Pan, he n never wanted to grow up. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of a master of all trades, but like an expert of none because he never focused on mm -hmm. like his mission. Mm -hmm. He was just kind of scattered all over. And I feel like that's kind of the life that I was living. I was good at this, 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 but not great, not a master at, at anything. And when I realized that I was dipping my hands in so many pots and not focused on one thing, um, I wasn't able to be my best self. So then I was able to narrow my focus on my mission, on what I want to do. And that's to inspire others with my words, with my journey, with the lessons I've learned on the path um, so that they don't have to um, go through the tragedy that I have been through or the, yeah. the downs that I have been. Um, so I was able to narrow my focus on, yeah. on my coaching and on my, my inspiring others. So what I'm curious about is what is your favorite story right now? Like if you had to think either the first movie that comes to mind or the first book that comes to mind, what's your favorite story now? My favorite story right now for sure is not really a story. It's like Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Um, so in that story is that template is kind of in mo most stories, a lot yeah. of stories. If you had to go off of your intuition, what's the first movie that comes to mind that most exemplifies Joseph Campbell's? For sure, Star Wars. George Lucas mm -hmm. like was very inspired by Joseph Campbell's work. Yeah, Joseph um, Campbell actually went to his house and helped him write the original scripts for the first three Star Wars. Yeah. I'm curious. Let's say that you're a father mm -hmm. and you have a daughter mm -hmm. and she's 10 mm -hmm. and she's really curious mm -hmm. and it's a bedtime story and it's a Friday night and you guys have plenty of time. And she says, tell me Star Wars. <laughs> Can you please take a couple of minutes and tell the audience how you would tell Star Wars to your daughter as, as if you were speaking directly to her? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm smiling like very bright right now because I, I hope one day I do have this opportunity. You will. And thank you. And um, I apologize to all the Star Wars fans nope. in advance because that's I'm not, not this is about. I, I know, yeah. I know, I know that's, I was just going to say like, I know right. that's not what this is about. This is just how I'm going to retell the story in my words. Exactly. Um, so how would I tell my 11 year old daughter the story of Star Wars? Um Okay, and this will probably like have not, like people, Star Wars fans, will be like this has nothing to do with Star Wars, but this is my version of Star exactly, Wars. Exactly, and that's what I want. Okay, so. Um, once the, upon a time. Once upon a time. In a galaxy the, far, far away. Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. I'm going to say there's a girl because yeah, I'm exactly. talking to my daughter yep. and I can create this story however I want. So, yeah. once upon a time in a galaxy far away, there was a girl and she was. In her hometown, it was a small, small hometown, and she always felt a calling for something more, for something greater. And the people around her were no longer serving her. And she felt that calling to venture out, to explore. And the people around her 
didn't want her to do that. They were feel fearful for her. They wanted to keep her safe under her roof. And she was kind of stuck in her comfort zone. Um, but something happened. Um, there was a need for her help. She received the call. Um, let's say there was a situation on a planet far away where there was terror and people were, people were under threat, their freedom, their peace, lives were being lost, tragedy was there. And it, it became so overwhelming, her sadness and her need to help, helped her step out of that comfort zone. So she grabbed her bags and hit the road. Um, she didn't know where she was going, but she just went. And she just followed her, her heart. And along the path, she met many people. And those people helped guide her closer and closer to that distant planet. She didn't know how she was going to get there, but she knew she had to. And she wouldn't stop at not getting there. And she met a, another hero who was also passionate about helping others, restoring peace and love to the universe. And they found a spaceship and they headed out to that planet. And along the way, there's many battles and many um, dark forces they had to overcome. But they got there. And then when they got to this, this planet, they're full of fear. They're overwhelmed. And then they met another ally, another hero. And the three of them were able to do more than two. And that three became four. And that four became five. And that five became ten. And that ten became thousands. And as this momentum picked up and they were able to make progress and slowly started chipping away at this darkness that took over this planet. And this darkness reached a point where there was more light than the darkness and the light was able to overcome. And that planet became free, love was restored, peace was restored, and life was great. And she had all these new friends, she was a leader, she was an ally, and then she felt that calling once again. And that calling brought her back home to share the lessons she's learned on the path with the loved ones she left behind, with those people back at home, that needed her now. And she couldn't help them. She couldn't help them as she can now when she, when she first left. But now she was able to return with all these lessons. And then she was able to take that power of the light from learnt on her path, learnt on that planet X to home. And then she was able to start spreading that light back at home and creating love and peace on her 
original, sm that small planet that was kind of just blah. And um, yeah, and then at, I guess at the end of the story, like her, her own planet became transformed. And then um, that's kind of the end of part one. And then part two, she just goes on another mission and just keeps on spreading yeah. that, that love and that light. Yeah. Well, I don't know what I'm like tearing up from that. It's like a beautiful story. Yeah, it's the heart. What was the first call of Planet X for you in your life that got you to leave your comfort zone? What was that first call for you in your life? To leave my my planet, my planet small. The planet X is that that planet that needed help. So, what was the first call for me that helped me leave my comfort zone? Hmm. I've all I always felt the calling um, to help others and give back. That's always been within my heart. I know that to be true. Um, and I didn't step. Hmm. I didn't fully step out into that comfort, out of that comfort zone until like tragedy bestruck me. And yeah. my world this got is shook a, up and turned around, my personal world. This is a good point to bring awareness to, is that there's two calls to adventure. There's one where the hero consciously chooses to go out. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is when the flood comes. And flood is when something comes into your life that cannot be ignored, that destroys the comfort zone yeah. purposefully. And so what was that for you? That was um, a severe traumatic brain injury that left me in a coma for three and a half days, over a week of amnesia, um, a long road of recovery. It's, I've been almost a decade now and the recovery is, I'm still in the process of. What age did this happen at? That happened in May 2010 when I think I was 27. So what happened? What's the story of that? So I um, have been like a lifelong athlete, hockey and soccer in my youth. And then um, in, when I go into my adulthood, I pursued the martial arts, which is something that I've always been into. But um, my family never really condoned that. They wanted me to play team sports and just kind of stick with the, the known, um, the hockey, the soccer, the the basics that like everyone does this. And um, so I started training in um, Hapkido and then that was for a little bit, but I, I, that didn't feel right for me. And then I went into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, and so I was training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I also started doing Muay, Muay Thai kickboxing. And as an athlete growing up, I didn't realize the severity of concussions. And because I'm used to getting hit whether that like a kick to the shin or a puck to the ankle. And you just scrap, like rub that off and you get back on the field. You tough that out. That's the culture, especially the, the very masculine culture of hockey and soccer. Um, and so I suffered a really bad concussion at a wrestling practice one day. And I just kind of brushed it off. I said, okay, well, just you're fine and I went back to practice the next day and it was like MMA practice and I got punched in the head at least like a hundred times and I went home that night and my brain felt like slush um, like I woke up like vomiting 
um, it was very bad. And they're like, okay, I think something's wrong. I'm going to take a couple days off. So I took a couple days off training, went back, went back to jujitsu practice, hit my head really lightly on the mat. And I just had like the worst headache, like, uh, like noise was bothersome to me. Light was bothersome to me. And I knew, and I was just very irritated by everything. I knew something was wrong. So I went to the doctor. The doctor put me on medical leave for a month. And he says, you cannot do anything, anything physical. So I went to my coach and being an athlete was my identity. And I went to my coach and I said, yeah, I can't train for a month. Like, I don't know what to do. I was very distraught. Like, I felt like my identity was lost. I didn't know, like, what to do with my time. I've been, I trained every day, one, two, often three times a day. I was just, like, obsessed with the physical. And um, a guy I looked up to, um, Lance Carthright, uh, a role model in the, at our gym, um, someone I looked up to, he said, hey, why don't you come to this yoga class with me? And yoga was something that was kind of planted in my brain um, from The Ultimate Fighter season one with Diego Sanchez, um, uh, UFC OG, who used to do yoga practice and breath work in the backyard. And I remember all the guys like, what the hell is this guy doing? But I was really drawn to that because he was just very confident in his space and he won the show like he was a badass. And so that put a little seed in my head. But at the time, especially where I was from, yoga wasn't very popular. Like guys did not like do yoga. That was like something where you go to Lululemon, you buy tight fitting clothes and you're a woman and you go to some room and you do something called yoga. I didn't really know what it was and I was intimidated to go by myself. Um, but when Lance asked me to go, I said, oh, this guy's cool. Like I really respect him. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And so I went to my first ever yoga class. It was a Bikram hot yoga class, which is um, 90 minutes long. You're done, done in front of mirrors in front of you, mirrors to the side of you, brightly lit room, 105 Fahrenheit, 40% humidity. It's like very intense. And I went in with that athlete mentality that like I could, I could, I could do this. And I was seeing all, everyone in the room and like they didn't look like athletes like me, like older people, like, like skinny, like women, like, okay. Like, and I tried so hard. Um, at the end of the class, it was exhausting. Like it was the hardest thing I've ever done. At the end of the class, I laid on the floor and I was like, holy shit, like, like what was that? I felt like I got like, I don't know, hit by the universe upside the head. I was just so happy that class was over. And then I went home that night and I remember laying in bed and it was like the most peace, the most calm I've ever felt in my life. It was so beautiful. Um, so I went back and I went back with the athlete, the, that athlete mentality, like I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and I'm going to beat that yoga. I'm not going to let, <laughs> with the ego, like I'm not going to let anything do that to me. I'm not going to make anything bring me to the, my knees like that Bikram hot yoga class, not even to my knees, to my back. Um, I'm, I'm not going to let, I'm going to show, I'm going to go show that yoga. And then, so I went back and I, the class was a bit better and, um, I went home that night and again, that, that feeling of peace, that feeling of calm was, was unlike nothing other. So I got an intro month and I went there for a month and it was just really helping rehabilitate my concussion. It was giving me something to do. It was giving me a challenge um, outside of my typical physical activity. And at the end of that one month, I, I think there's like a deal at the, the center where if you buy like a pass or something, you save like 15% or whatever. So I bought like a 10 class pass I did two classes um, and then I was out at a bar one night and I got jumped by randomly by a gang. Um, I got hit in the head with a cue ball 
it fractured my skull. I went unconscious. And like witnesses say like six to 10 of that, that gang, that get, the guy with the, the, the people with that, with that guy were grabbing bar stools, smashing my head, soccer kicking my head. And it was like the close of the bar. It was understaffed. They had only two security. No one stopped it. Like, um, just randomly after a while, these girls came in. It's like, what, like, what are, like, what are you doing? Like, this guy's unconscious. Um, and so I laid on the floor, bloodied, unconscious for at least half an hour before the ambulance came. Um, and then, yeah, I was transported to like uh, the like the brain, yeah, for the neuro neurosurgery unit or something like that, uh, at a hospital. And I was in a coma for three and a half days. And then when I woke up the coma, they transferred me to another hospital. And I don't remember what happened, but um, apparently like that I was strapped into the bed, like a catheter in me, I was like messed up. I like my, my floor, my forehead was, I had bruises all over me. My forehead, I had like a huge, um, huge, uh, like huge bump on like gigantic. Um, and I was strapped into the bed because whenever I woke up, I tried to escape. I didn't know where I was. And then later on, like, People say they're talking to me, and I just kept on saying the same things. One day, I just was only talking French. Um, just very confused. But the morning, I remember waking up and regaining consciousness and knowing what's up. I, I woke up with all these new realizations, all these new revelations. Everything that I thought was important before, the external, so how you look, what you own, what other people think about you, your social media, all that, all that meant nothing was absolutely meaningless when you're on your deathbed when you when you don't know like if you're going to, like if you're going to live like what i realize what is important and what is important is all all the internal what is important is who you love and i later learned on my path who you love most importantly yourself why owe you and like all capital, bold letters, who you love most importantly yourself starts there. Um, who loves you back? And then being the change, being the change you wish to see in this world so that when someone's laying there on the floor, you're going to pick them up. You're not going to stomp them when they're down. Um, and if you expect any change in the world, that starts with you. And a big step in being, being the change and living as a change was forgiveness. And that's like another thing I'm very blessed to have come to realization right away too. And I don't know where these all came from and maybe you can get into that, but forgiveness its forgiving those who did that to me because I realized, imagine how much hate, hurt, anger, yeah. trauma that they would have to experience to be able to like hit someone in the head with a cue ball. Yeah. But not only that, when someone's unconscious on the ground to grab bar stools, smash them in the head. So I had to, um, forgive them because if by me holding on to that, like why me, why do they do that? Oh, I want to get them or where, like, where do they live? Like the, like, and always thinking about that, the only one that that's going to torture is me and not only me, me. And then everyone I connect with because yeah. I'll be carrying that, that darkness, that poison, that toxicity with me. So is I had forgiveness almost, almost, almost right away. Cause the choice was forgive or not like you either do or you don't. Um, and so I let that go so that I could be the change and help others n not have to get trapped in the darkness, give people hope by being the light 
myself. And so that was the thing that pushed me out of my comfort zone. And that kind of changed my trajectory from working in the corporate world with my Bachelor of Commerce degree, um, con concerned about just climbing that social ladder, buying possessions, to completely switching my path. And um, I use yoga to help heal my brain. Um, once I got cleared for physical activity, I still had those eight classes left on my pass. I went back and I felt so at peace again. Um, the brain injury left me with a lot of negative effects, um, like extreme anger, rage, impulsivity, memory loss. Um, I had to relearn how to read and comprehend what I was reading. Like learning was so slow. Um, but in, in that hot yoga room, like I felt whole. I felt enough. I felt at peace. Um, not only during the class, but a long time after. And so that eight classes ran up and then I didn't no longer had a job at that time. So I started volunteering at the studio, cleaning the studio um, in exchange for free yoga um, because that was my salvation. That was my, my heaven. And um, that, that's what brought me to that place of just peace. Um, and I ended up doing... 365 days of Bikram yoga every single day from December 26, 2010 to December 24, 2011. And I, it wasn't a goal that I set out. It just naturally happened that way. And through that 365 days, I learned and I truly understood the ultimate power that we all hold within. And that's choice. Like the most powerful of our human freedoms, as Viktor Frankl says, I understood what that meant. We have the power within to change the way we experience reality. And it started off with small, like small realizations. Like if you, if you go into the, the, the room and you think like, this is hot, this is hot, this is so hot, fuck, this is hot. What do you think you're going to experience? Like such a, it's going to be miserable. Or you go into class and I'm practicing next to you, Eric, and I'm just concerned about Eric the whole class. Oh my God, look at his flexibility. Oh man, look at Eric Godsey's abs. Damn, like why don't I look like that? Like I just have the, you just have the worst class because you're focused on someone else rather than you. And then maybe one day you're not there and there's no one there. And I just have such a peaceful, blissful class and I'm just totally in the zone. I'm in a state of bliss. And that's because I'm not focused on that person and focus on me and by going into that hot room day after day after day and in that in the Bikram yoga the only thing that changes is you because the room temperature is the same the um, dialogue the, the postures are the same like it's like 26 postures and two breathing exercises and it's the teachers kind of memorize a script and they don't really go off that script. So you would take a class in Winnipeg where I'm from or Japan like that class is going to be the same. So the only thing that changes is you so you realize how your thoughts affect your class how you, how your sleep affects your class how what you eat how what you how you hydrate affects your class how your energy going into the class affects your class you realize um, the power we hold within to shape our reality and then uh, that comes back to choice and then it comes back to um, as with that forgiveness it's like do or do not and it's that in the now because what I learned from that uh, assault is you never know when your time is going to come. You never know when you're driving in traffic and 
you get struck by a car we're sitting here and on it and who knows maybe if there's an electric problem this building goes up in flame you never know maybe you you fall flat of a heart attack of a problem you never know like you don't know and by saying okay well i'm going to forgive next week or i'm going to forgive in 5 minutes not like that's choosing not so it's wielding choice in the now it was my big takeaway and um from that 365 days and the power of attending to our self-care. And that just opened the floodway of all these other learnings and modalities um, I learned these past 10 years and that I continue to learn and that I'll, that I'll always continue to strive to learn um, so that I could attend to myself so I could best serve all those with whom I interact and connect. One of the big things that comes up in me when I hear you tell that story is... <clears throat> In every culture that we have any recorded history of, one of the fundamental things that every culture needs are initiation rituals. And there's a function in the soul that if the culture will not provide an initiation ritual, the soul will demand it. And people who listen to their call to adventure will hear their soul at some point say, on some level, it's time to do X. You're going to hate it, but it's going to transform you. And your 365 days of Bikram, like an initiation ritual. And it, it feels like it's a mental part of what we need in order to become who we could be. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful story, and I hope it highlights for the listeners that everybody has a whisper in them that's calling them to do something difficult. And if you say no, the flood will eventually come for you. But if you say yes now, you get to consciously engage with it. And what's really interesting is because of our evolutionary history, because in periods of our development we were prey animals, and there were also periods of our development where we were predators, we have two different systems for engaging with obstacles. And one is the prey system. And that's when you're in the prey system, you're more likely to get PTSD. You're more likely to um, have psychoses. But when you're in the predator system, you're more likely to have what's called post-traumatic growth. And what's really interesting is that post-traumatic growth is more common than post-traumatic stress disorder, but we just don't talk about it a lot. And... It's, it's amazing that you said yes and that you actually did it. And so I'm curious, after that 365 days, what was the next call to adventure for you? Like what was the next journey that you went on? Yeah, that's great. Um, so after or even during that 365 days, um, I had a choice. I could choose to go back into the corporate world and which I w was succeeding in. I was moving from job A to B to C, and they're all, I was climbing the ladder, and they're all very prestigious opportunities. Um, but they were pro providing me no fulfillment emotionally or spiritually. They're just get, being able to buy me more stuff, more money, and I was feeling very empty. Um, so my option 
when I got cleared to go back to work was go back to the corporate world or, or make a change. And I chose a change. I tried to look at the other side of the coin. So I had a Bachelor of Commerce degree. I chose to go back to school and um, I registered for some social work classes um, because I was inspired by that because my aunt and uncle, they're social workers. And I just really admired and respected um, respected them. And they just approached everything with such love and kindness. And I wanted to see what that was all about. And did they learn that from like their schooling? or? Mm-hmm. So I, I just really loved um, the intro cl- classes I took, the intro cl- social work classes I took. And I just was in very few. I was only in two classes because it was so hard for me to learn yeah. and read. Um, but... I loved it. I love learning about um, what makes people the way they are. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, and seeing just seeing it, at, looking to see into other people's souls and why they became the way they are. And so I applied for um, social work, and I got in. And then I chose instead of returning to the corporate world to go back to school and simultaneously um, I was offered and like through that 365 days um, one of my teachers he was opening his own studio and he really wanted me to be a part of his new studio and he was it was a Bikram yoga studio but it was also going to offer yin yoga Pilates different other modalities um, that Bikram like it was very strict at the time you could only teach Bikram here, you have to have like this certain, like you need carpet, you need this, like very specific, you have to pay franchise fees, all this. So my teacher wanted to open an uncertified Bikram studio. Um, And because of choosing that, he would not be able to hire any Bikram trained teachers because Bikram threatened to revoke those people's certifications and those certifications were very expensive like from like 10,000 US dollars like 1500 15,000 US dollars so that's like a big big certification um that people are very fearful to having revoked so this this uh, teacher taught his name's Todd Miller he hand trained me for a year so he taught me he created me into the teacher he wanted me to be I went and practiced, taught with him in all the different facilities, and he he molded me into the teacher he wanted to represent his studio. Um, and then so yeah, I was teaching, began teaching at his studio, and my call that the second call was I had to, so I was teaching yoga part time and then doing school part time, and then once I graduated, I was working in the social uh, welfare world, working for a couple nonprofits while teaching yoga and it was the last the last job I had I was like a motivational facilitator for the largest unemployment agency in the city and I taught three-hour classes every Monday to Friday um, to a new group of students and this was um, after they completed all their their skill upgrades and how and everything they needed to get them job this was kind of like a last course like uh, yeah, let's go get them. And like the main, the main lessons from this course were like, if you believe in yourself, anything is possible. Um, in order to be the best worker, parent, friend, spouse, whatever, you have to put yourself first. You have to attend to you first. And then the third thing is the number one thing that holds people back 
was fear. And so talking about all these positive lessons every day, and I had like the freedom to choose my own curriculum. So every morning I just sat like read books or was on YouTube and just finding things that inspired me. And then I shared that inspiration and that leveled me up to like my best self. And it finally gave me the courage to step outside my comfort zone. And I booked a flight to Costa Rica and I spent three months there um, learning, um, taking two different yoga trainings and different yoga trainings than my Brikram. It was a 200 hour vinyasa flow training and then a 100 hour pranasage training, which is all about like hands-on adjustments and like human touch. And that was like a very powerful training. Um, so I left, I left Canada with two yoga jobs and um, just doing working from seven to four thirty at my social work job and then heading to the yoga studio, taking class and then teaching class. And my days were from seven AM and I get home at like ten, just exhausted and not like none of my personal time really. And just it was, it was really I was really suffering because of that. Um and so I went to Costa Rica, did my trainings, and I came back to Canada, and I just used all my skills I learned from the business world of sales, and I sold myself, and I just went knock on doors, and I went from two jobs to working at over like twelve places, and I I made yoga, my teaching yoga, um, and some fitness my full time um, career for two years, and that's kind of the second, yeah, the second step. What are your major stories slash projects right now that you're most passionate about that you're giving your energy to yeah my my major um project right now is called the hero project it's a school-based um mindful breathing mobility and yoga movement initiative that i teach in schools to grades three to eight um and it's all based around the power of choice. And I condensed everything I learned over this last 10 years. And even before that, because there's learnings before that too, of course, I've condensed it into a four-week program where I go into the classrooms. I train the teachers to deliver this program. And I get the ball rolling in that school so that after my four weeks, when I leave, they have all the resources they need to continue that self-care culture, to give the students, not only the students, but to give the teachers um, mini self-care breaks all throughout the day, whether that be breath, mobility, yoga movement. Um, and it's all based around um, four reality changers um, that help exemplify what that means, the power of choice. So how do you explain the power of choice to um not only students, but to anyone. And I thought of how I do that. And it's through bringing awareness to the power of breath, the power of our posture, the power of our vibration, and the power of now. And each week I explain that topic via a visual infographic um, where you don't even need to hear me talk about it. You can look at it and you can understand the concept. Um, and that's especially important for students that are are unable to learn um, verbally, especially if there's language difficulties or educational difficulties. Yeah. And the thing that comes up in me is that most of our medicine that we can share with other people come from us alchemizing our specific wounds. And because you had the head trauma and you had the hard time reading, 
you know the power of visualization for people that might have that barrier yeah visualization is so huge and like there's a, sto a sto story in my yoga journey um where i suffered like a severe injury as as sparring with my brother at at, at, at uh, kickboxing and he just timed his kick perfectly and he, my brother ryan uh, he's my youngest brother he's, he's like an expert martial artist he's a, pro, a undefeated professional fighter um he, I really look look up to his um, his skills in that field. Uh, he timed. I threw a uh, stepping jab, and he timed it perfectly. It kicked out my leg, and it tore my MCL, and I couldn't do anything for. I couldn't even walk for a month. And um, what age was this? This was a year after, about a year after my um, brain injury. So this was in 2011. So I was 26 um, when my brain injury happened. So this was 27, I think. And I couldn't practice yoga, and I learned the lessons um, from my first injury. Um, not like not to like oh like this sucks like woe is me. Like I knew exactly what to do. I'd, even though I can't train physically, I could train in other ways. I could um, develop my meditation practice. I could develop my journaling practice. I could develop. Um, I could read more books i could watch more documentaries and one thing i got into is i read this book um, called 10 minute toughness and it's about visual visualization and there was a yoga posture that um i had a really hard time doing it's called standing head to knee where you stand on one leg kick the other leg extend it straight out uh, and then fold forward and touch your head to that standing leg it's like very hard to stay balanced and my mentor um my yoga mentor at that time he wanted me to enter this yoga competition which is weird and we don't really need to get into that but it's kind of a demonstration and he wanted me to you ha there's a set posture you have to do and one of them was a standing head to knee and i couldn't train for that posture so what i did is i visualized it using the techniques from this book mm -hmm. um, i visualized me like in the backstage preparing i visualized me walking on stage i visualized like seeing the audience i visualized me stabilizing myself i visualized me faltering with my balance and then re finding my focus with my breath and through that i was able when i was when my knee healed i was able to do that posture for the first time by never having practice wow which which shows like the power of belief and and visualization and like it works um and that's just not through my anecdotal experience that like there's yeah research. for people who want to dive into the research you are the placebo is is the best book that i know that systematically goes through the scientific research of the power of visualization like just to drive the point home there's an experiment in that book where there were three groups of people one one group worked out every, every day for eight weeks one group did not work out but visualized each rep of the same workout that group a did and group c didn't do either group b developed more muscle mass over eight weeks than group a the group that visualized and did not work out gained more muscle mass than the group that worked out and this book you are the placebo has hundreds or at least dozens of studies just like that yeah absolutely this is very, the placebo effect is very real um so that's how i like yeah the visualization of the thing but all, all these lessons from the Hero Project are lessons I've learned on the path, and I'm trying to, um, right now, it's through the Hero Project, but as I continue to learn and develop, I'm trying to learn the language that can speak universally 
to the whole. And the more experiences, the more conversations I have, I learn how to better share my message, my message of love, of peace, the message that we are enough. We hold everything we need uh, in the right here and now to move forward or not. And it's all about awareness. It's taking awareness of what cards lay in front of you. It doesn't matter if you like the cards or not. Like those are the cards you've been dealt and that you have to play with in the now. So just bring awareness to them and then move forward. And you don't have to move forward in giant ways. You don't have to leave your city. You don't need to quit your job, leave your relationship. These big drastic changes, and that's often what people, that hold people back, that fear of change. The changes could be small. The changes could be those things from my hero project. How, bringing aware, how am I breathing? Am I breathing in my um, sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight, upper lobe, chest, mouth breathing that most people unconsciously breathe, which sends a constant signal of distress unease to the brain? Or can I choose to breathe into my lower lobes of the lungs using my diaphragm respiratory muscle to activate the parasympathetic to send this signal to my brain that I'm safe, I'm secure. Just choosing and bringing awareness to your breath moves you forward or your posture. Am I in a closed off, hunched over posture, crossing my arms, crossing my neck, protecting myself, sending this, the unconscious signal to my brain that I'm not safe, I'm not secure? Or could I, could I choose to open up my posture, expose my vital organs, my neck to threat because I'm safe? And that changes the way you experience the world or bring awareness to what kind of vibration am I sending out to those around me? Um, whether that be, and in the schools I say, this is the power of the smile. Research shows when you smile, it changes the way you experience reality. But you don't need to go around smiling all the time. You could smile with your eyes, your heart, but even just bringing awareness to the energy you're putting out, having that awareness just changes your experience. And then lastly, and another shift that could move you forward and not a drastic step is the power of now. Am I present? Am I in this moment or am I focused on the past or am I focused on the future? And with that awareness, you bring yourself back to the now. How do you bring yourself back to the now? We just went over three of the tools. Bring awareness to your breath. Bring awareness to your posture. Bring awareness to vibration. Just bringing awareness to one brings you back in the here and now. So those are just four simple tools that can move you forward on your journey. And then with those reps, like with everything, you really understand the power of choice and you realize your choice could extend beyond that. It could extend to the food you eat, the friends you surround yourself with, your attention to your self-care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then those small shifts lead to big changes in time. Why did you call it the hero project? Hmm. Because I'm looking to create heroes. Mm. Um, this world is in dire need of them. I completely agree. And there's a hero within us all, and I want to awaken, awaken them as I continue to awaken myself. Is there, sure, that you visualize, that you know you want to move towards, that you haven't manifested yet? And if so, what is that? future and can you walk us through the visualization of it hmm could you just maybe uh, rephrase that in another way i don't exactly understand what you're so 
You mentioned before that when you were preparing to do that yoga competition, which is one of the funniest things mm -hmm. I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> is you imagined walking out on stage. Yeah. I'm curious, is there a future? Is there some goal that you have in mind that you want to manifest that you have been practicing visualizing? No, I don't think so, but I should. Interesting, and like this yeah. will this will put me on that path. And just yeah. like our first conversation led to huge changes. And then maybe I, I will bring my attention back yeah. to that visualization to so manifest that future. Let me challenge you. Yeah. And um, I'll talk slowly and for kind of a long time to give you a chance to prepare. But if the universe is waiting for your clarity to give you what you want, if you had to take a moment to visualize the future experience five years from now, if everything went according to the plan that you have for yourself and your life, and you had the ability to manifest this vision, and you had to go from your heart right now, what would be the experience that you would want to manifest in the world five years from today? Mm -hmm. I feel that I'm living it right now. Um, so I'm going to challenge you. Like, <clears throat> I'll share my example sure. to kind of get your juices right. going. Yeah. I have two um, future images that I practice visualizing. And one is I'm in my dream home and I'm in my dream study. And it's this huge room that's like three stories high, but have no other like layers. So you can just see the walls and it's full of books. And on the far wall is this huge window that looks like a cathedral window. And it, um, beyond it is a lake and trees because my home is a cabin in the Northwest somewhere. And in the middle of the room is my like podcasting table. And I'm sitting at the, at one of the chairs and I know that a podcast is about to happen. And I can see the door that leads into this room. And on the other side of the door is the rest of the house. And I see two pairs of children's shoes and they're my daughter and my sons. And I can see those shoes over there. And I feel this overwhelming sense of love and gratitude that, I have this business and I have this podcast and it supports my family and I'm able to be the father that I want to be. I can work from home. I know that there's a big guest coming over and we're going to have an amazing discussion. I know that my wife and my kids are somewhere in the house and that, you know, we'll all have dinner together afterwards. And I just, the love and the God in that experience. So that's one. My big ego one is I'm like an old man and um, I'm flying to receive a Nobel Prize. And I walk on stage, I see the audience. I've even Googled what the, like what the location looks like. Like it's got red and gold everywhere. And I'm an old man in my tuxedo or whatever and I'm walking across the stage and I'm shaking the old man's hand that's going to give me this award and I accept the award and I just feel this sense of gratitude for the work and the good that I know that I've done to, to receive that. So those are two far off um, 
visualizations that I practice that I hope to manifest. So giving you those two examples, what came up for you about a specific image that you want to practice visualizing? Mm-hmm. We already, we already, uh, we already told the story at the start. And that's me telling that story to mm. um, my 10 year old daughter um, or like you say five years. So it could be my five year old daughter and me being filled with that immense sense of peace and love that I felt after that first yoga class um, in bed, that just that pure, just like sense of being that sense of wholeness and just being enveloped in that as I walk um, into her room and my, as I walk in there, my joints are supple. Uh, my body is feeling great um, through my physical practice, but my mind is there um, as well. I'm just, just enveloped in that sense of just pure being. And then I tell her that story that I told, told you. Um, but even as I say that, it, it doesn't even have to be my daughter, it could be my niece Grace or my niece Ruby. I don't want to be attached to a wanting um, because as I said, like I feel like what, where I am now is enough and I'm moving forward and what more, and I'm staying curious and continuously learning, like what more could I ask for from that? I feel blessed for that opportunity in itself. Um, so that's where I'm having a bit of a stumble is that, that wanting more. Um, that's what I'm, that's what I'm running up against. But my answer is, yeah, walking into that room, my body feeling great, my mind feeling great, telling that story and just being fully present in that moment and, um, helping spread that light. Let's say that you've lived your life fully and deeply and you know that let's say you're 104 Mm -hmm. and you know that this is your last day Mm -hmm. you know that you're going to pass fully in your sleep 24 hours from now Mm -hmm. how would you want to spend that last day and who would you want to be there with you yeah i try to live that day that last day every day like i'm ready now I'm ready. I'm ready to go now. I've I've experienced that that close call with death, and um, I'm not I'm not fearful of it. Um, so I try to make the most of every day. And the beauty is, we have we have we have the chance to go for that always. Um, so that day would look like um, me attending to myself first, because in order to best serve others, I have to do that. I have to serve others from a full cup rather than one um, half empty. Um, so I would attend to my own well-being and how I do I do that is by attending to my physicality. Um, so whether that be some sort of movement practice, yoga or animal flow, jujitsu, kickboxing. And, I, and the beauty of those exercises, you don't have to do those alone you could do those with someone else so i'd be doing that with um with loved ones whether that be friends a partner family um i'd also make sure to attend to my own um giving time to myself so whether that be um meditating journaling 
doing breath work, just sitting out in nature and being, not doing anything, just observing. Um, that would definitely be a part of it as well. I would be um, laughter um, and also ch a challenge. I'd, I'd want to overcome something and build that resilience. And yeah, be, being outside in nature, feeling my um, bare feet in the grass, just breathing in that, that life force. That, that, uh, that prana, that oxygen. And I try to do those things every day. Yeah. So. And who would you want to be with you on that day? Loved ones. And I don't know what those, who those loved ones would be. But I know I am surrounded by love, and there's people all around that um, that love me. So I don't know who those people would be: family, friends, maybe a partner, maybe my children. For sure. But I can't be attached to any to any of that. I feel because if I I say, oh, I need I need a partner there with me, and oh, I don't have one now. That I'm living in a sense of a lack. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a need. Mm -hmm. What do no. you mean by that? It doesn't have to be a need. It's like when you witness a beautiful painting, mm -hmm. you don't need the painting to be there, but you can deeply drink in and appreciate the beauty and and to love that it's there now, mm -hmm. but that it's not a need, you know? And so like when we picture this perfect last day, not that you need mm -hmm. them to be there, but that you would deeply enjoy and love and be filled with bliss if it were so. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? I do, I do know what you're saying. Um, when I think like, oh, like in that future, I need to have like this right. person here. Not need. Like, it's the difference between allowing yourself to admit what would be beautiful, okay, yeah, as opposed to saying I need this to be so, mm -hmm. you know. And so, if you got, if you got to have this last day, perfect, yeah, what would make it beautiful? It'd be the partner, the children the family, the friends, yeah. and then attending to me with my physical needs, my mental needs, and my spiritual needs, which for me, my spiritual needs, my unity with all, and yeah. seeing me and everything, whether that be you, Eric, that be that tree out there, um, that bunny hopping by, yeah. like that life force within us all, and just realizing we're all a part of a bigger picture. And if you got to tell a story, your story, mm -hmm. to the loved ones that were around you mm -hmm. that last night, because mm -hmm. you know in a couple of hours you're going to cross, you're mm -hmm. going to leave the three-dimensional world, 
and you got to leave them with the story of pain, mm-hmm. how would you tell that story to them? <laughs> Just imagine that it's, it's nighttime, you're outside of your house, you can feel the ground, it's cool and soft, there's a fire, the fire is going, all, all your loved ones are around the fire, and they want to hear the story of pain. Mm-hmm. How would you tell them that story? I would say originally I came into this planet, into this existence, this reality. Check this out. Once upon a time. Once upon a time, there's a young boy. He was beaming and bright, full of love, joy, and positivity. But as he trekked the path, things began to cling to him, darkness. Darkness from experience, from others, from media, different messages begin to um, dim that love, that light, that positivity, that sense of being enough. And that boy became a man who forgot who he was, where he came from, forgot that light that was always inside. It, it became so obstructed. Um, but the universe smacked him upside mm-hmm. the head. <laughs> and shook him to his core, and little lights cracked out, a little of that love, that peace, that joy. And he remembered what that felt like, and then he started to wash off all that dirt, that grime, that muck, layer by layer with action, with work, but with a knowing that all that he was searching for was already there within. And over time, he restored that light. And that light, as that light grew from inside, it started to spread to all those around him. And then those people lit up and those people started lighting up those people around him. And then the world just became a little lighter. And as he continued on this path, that dirt, that muck, that grime, that darkness came back and stuck on him. But with awareness, he's just able to brush that off. But it's a continuous action with that awareness. We must continue to also work. Uh, we must continue to stay keeping ourselves clean. And I think that's a, oh, I, I'm, I'm getting out of my story. But um, so continue to keep that clean. Um, and then it reached the end of his light. And as his light started to dim from within, not this time because of darkness or grime, but just because the energy within this vessel had its time, he could see that bright light in everyone around him. And that left um, 
left this, this boy who is always there with such peace as he um, departed this plane, knowing that his light um, will continue to live on in others and in the world, um, and he'll always be there. Bang, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your myth. Thank you, Eric. I love you, brother. I love you, brother.